Welcome everyone to the Hack a Convo. This is the second part of our conversation on Romans. If you have not listened to part one where we talked about Romans chapter one through four, I encourage you guys to go back and check that out. Make sure you listen to it and that'll give you a, a good foundation as we approach this conversation chapter five through eight. And the reason we are suggesting that is because as Mike said in that episode last week is that he you know, recommends that you read these in context. And so if you're starting this fresh, you'll get something out of it for sure. Uh, like you'll get something out of it if you just read a chapter of the Bible, but you'll get more out of it if it's done in context, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you have to get the, the important thing about the Bible is you can get meaning, but you need full meaning. And so the only way to get Correct, full yeah. meaning is to look into context. Right, so we're starting up with chapter 5 in the second section of Romans. Last uh, time we were together, you talked about how there are four sections, so we didn't do it just because it's four chapters. Mm-hmm. Um, but this actually, most theologians agree that there's four separate sections to Romans. We covered section 1. This is section 2, which is chapters 5 to 8. So uh, as we do on these, Mike's going to lay the foundation for this conversation, and we'll make our way through these four chapters of the book of Romans. Yeah, so it's it it's interesting because we have four different sections of Romans, but we're going to break this section down into two subsections. So just just go with me on this and follow me on this. <laughs> uh, so um, the, the most important thing to remember about Romans, as we talked about last time, is context. But there's also um, another thing that you need to understand, particularly about Paul's writing. Um, And that is flow. So when you read his letter, it has a flow to it. Um, I've done this, and I'm sure many of our listeners have done this, tried to start in the middle of a letter by Paul. And it's a bad idea. You can do it with other, you can do it with other writers. You could do it with other, you know, you might even be able to do it in the gospels, although I don't suggest it there either. But trying to start in the middle of Paul is almost impossible. You're, you're going to miss something. Mm. You're going to miss because he has a flow. He, he, um, in my mind, uh, Paul is probably the closest thing to a philosopher, uh, that the scriptures have. And indeed, I think Mm -hmm. he probably was some type of philosopher. Um, and so his arguments are based on reason and logic. And so he'll break down his arguments. So for instance, if, if you pay attention to his writing, it'll say it'll basically say this happened because this happened because this happened because this happened, and, and he'll just keep going with a flow like that. And if you try right. to start in the middle, you're going to miss it. You're you're, you're going to miss something. Um, and so, with that being said, we will look at chapter five, but we have to remember where we are with chapters one through four. If you remember right, we we left off with Abraham. In chapter four, talking about Abraham as an example of faith and how Abraham, um, even before the law existed, was uh, a believer in God. He And his faith was counted as righteousness um, because he had faith in God. And so continuing with that argument, Paul kind of extends that argument into chapter five. He, he's basically saying Abraham didn't need the Torah and circumcision because he had faith because he believed God. He, he just simply believed and obeyed uh, what God told mm-hmm. him to do. And, and he says that this, is, um, that this is where we are at as Christians, that we 
um, need to have faith in Jesus Christ. And so chapters five through six kind of extend that argument. Uh, remember how I was talking about flow and, and, and the fact that that he, he just goes from one argument to the next to the next and kind of proves his point. Um, and kind of, it's kind of like building a building, right? You start mm-hmm. with the foundation and then you build on top of that. And that's how his arguments work. So, well, and the, the other thing we have to remember, which a lot of people would already know, but he didn't write the chapters. Like he didn't yeah. break it up. He, he wasn't the author that broke it up and said, this is chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four. I mean, so we did that later. So we broke down in the chapters and verses. So it was easy for, easier for us to find mm-hmm. different portions of scripture. So it wasn't so hard to locate. I mean, imagine uh, approaching Romans as one big letter, which is how it was written. And, and you're trying to find uh, Romans chapter three, verse 23. It'd be extremely hard every single time right. trying to trace it down and find it. So it's amazing what the, what the people who put the scriptures together for us did in helping us being able to locate different passages. But we have to remember that when we're studying this, that uh, these chapters were not written by Paul. He doesn't uh, introduce and then come to a summary or a summation and has a conclusion of each chapter leading into the next one. Sometimes they're cut off in the middle of an argument, actually. Yeah, Paul is... Paul, (laughs) and what's interesting about Paul in some of his letters is he'll cut himself off in the middle of an argument. Um, If you pay attention, he'll be talking about something... And then he'll, it's kind of like he'll chase a rabbit trail and he'll get sidetracked mm-hmm. with something else and then come back to his point. Uh, so, I mean, he's, I love Paul, but it's probably because I'm a lot like Paul. Uh, so I, yeah. I, he's like, so he's like old school preachers, you know, those guys yes. that would preach like an hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> he just rambles like... on and then all of a sudden he's like, there's a cool <laughs> rabbit trail. Yeah. Uh, uh, Paul. Uh, but I, I do the same thing. So I, I love it. Um, but it, but his arguments are very dense and very profound. Um, and so when he arrives at chapter five, he, he starts talking about these themes of being justified um, and, and being made right with God. That's what justification means. When you think about the word justification, it's very powerful. Uh, it's, 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 we've, we've kind of gotten used to the word in Christian circles. Oh, we're justified with God. Oh, you know when you really look at the meaning of that word, it means to be made right with God, to be, to be put Mm -hmm. in line with God, which is, is powerful. It's an extremely powerful um, concept. And and so he, he goes on and he's talking about justification and salvation. And in uh, one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible, when he starts talking about when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. We couldn't save ourselves. We couldn't help ourselves. And it was at that moment, it was at that point where we reached that crossroads and we realized we couldn't do anything to save ourselves. That's when he reached down to save us. And and that takes me back to the story in the Gospels with Peter, where Peter's walking on the water. All of a sudden he starts to sink and Jesus reaches down. He cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus reaches down and pulls him up. Peter could have very easily drowned there, but he realized that he needed Jesus to save him. And it kind of connects mm. with this argument in Romans chapter five. When, when we realize we didn't have enough strength to save ourselves, that's when Christ died for us. And that's when his death became effective for us. Um, and so if, if we follow that, uh, his next line of thought in Romans chapter five is contrasting Adam with Jesus. This is very interesting. 
Um, and so we could, we could. The first Adam really, and the last Adam. Yeah, we could, we could really get into this one. Um, but <laughs> we, we'll kind of touch, uh, you know, on, on the, the, the simpler side of it. But as you said. I mean, we preach, we preach full sermons based off of yeah. like a, a three, yeah. three scriptures, you know, yes. connected scriptures. Like we'll preach a full 45 minute sermon off of it. Yeah, so we're trying he, to do a thirty-minute podcast off, off yeah, of three chapters yeah, I, or four chapters. Sorry, that was the, my biggest challenge going through all this. Is I'm like, how in the world am I going to break all this down? <laughs> um, but uh, I'm glad I don't have to because my job is just to whet your appetite. You go down and break down all of it, and and you'll you'll be blessed yeah. for it. I promise. Um, but he 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 com- he contrasts Adam with Jesus. Adam, of course, the first Adam, and then the last Adam. Jesus was who Adam was supposed to be. Um, Adam was the representative for humanity. He was put in charge of the world. Um, he was supposed to rule the world and, and run the world in faithfulness to God. He obviously messed up, and everybody after him who has been put in rulership over the world has done the same thing. But now Christ is the last Adam, and he is the one who has set the world right. He has, uh, through his through his death and resurrection, uh, he has put the world right, and now his kingdom is on earth as it is in heaven. And he is the true Lord. He is the true Adam. He is who Adam was supposed to be. And so, what what we have to understand is what what Adam totally failed at. Jesus uh, more than made up the gap that was there. Um, and so that's mm. that's a very very simple way to put his argument in in Romans chapter five. And if, again, if you go back and read it, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Again, don't. Well, I'm not going to say that. I would highly encourage you not to read Romans chapter five in the King James version. Uh, listen, you do whatever you want. You do what's best for you. I would highly encourage you not to, because it becomes very very dense very very fast. So you could do it like if you're really married to the King James version, which is fine. Mm-hmm. You could do it like a side by side. You yes. could look at, uh, you could read through, and then have a look at another version, like maybe the New King James, that mm-hmm. just um, changes some of the words, makes it more modern. New American Standard Bible is very similar mm-hmm. to the KJV, so you don't have to go all the way to the NLT, which that might be helpful um, yeah. for some of you. But if you're a loyalist to the KJV, then maybe have uh, another version next to the KGV as you're going through it. Yep. Yep. Uh, that would be, it, yeah, I think that that's great. That would be very helpful. Um, and so that will help you kind of get the gist of what he's saying. Um, and so now we mm-hmm. come to chapter six and, and he continues the theme of salvation within the framework of obedience. So, Paul's concern after chapter five is that there might be some who would try to twist his words into saying that now, because we have grace, that we no long that we now can live however we want. And Paul's argument mm. is that that's the incorrect way to live. Now that you have been justified, now that you have been made right with God, now that you have been put into this position of rulership with Jesus Christ. You have the responsibility to be a servant of righteousness. Paul's argument comes down to you're going to serve one of two things. You're either going to serve sin 
or you're going to serve righteousness. And so just because we have grace does not then mean that you can live however you want, that you can do whatever you want, and, and, and that you can uh, abuse the grace of God. We have grace to help us, uh, or we have grace to come alongside of us to help us to fulfill what God wants us to do and to fulfill God's purpose. It is not a license for us to live however we want. And, and here's the further argument. If you've been delivered from sin, why would you want to go back to sin? It's like he says in Galatians, having been delivered from that lifestyle, why would you want to go back to it? It doesn't make any sense. You chose right. Jesus to get away from that. You chose to follow Jesus. You chose to believe in Jesus to get away from that nonsense, to get away from that filth. Why would you then want to go back to it? It makes no sense. And so grace is not a license for us to, to do whatever we want, but grace uh, allows us to fulfill the law and to fulfill the way that God wants us to live, to live according to his purpose and according to his plan. So, yeah, I love how Paul, Paul says it at the beginning of Romans 6, where verse 1 says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? And then he answers his own question. He goes, may it never be. <laughs> like, that's yeah. that's not what I'm talking about. It's it's not that you would continue to increase in sin. And then he goes into baptism, which is a famous passage that we look at when we're talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and how we as uh, Christians, ident uh, believers, identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ through repentance, uh, baptism and being filled with the Holy Spirit. But I mean, there's so many powerful passages that we can't just, we can't go through every single one of them no. or else uh, yeah. we'll be here for hours. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. It, unfortunately we can't go through every single one of them, but yeah, it's, it, I, I like how, again, Paul's right. My, my favorite thing about Paul's writing is how personal it is. I, I feel like Paul mm. talks how a lot of us talk, right? So he, he, he says, does it give you the excuse to do this? God forbid, certainly not. You know, you can almost see him shaking his head while he's writing. No, of course. Not. <laughs> yeah, while he's writing it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's it, that's one of the things I love about his writing. His feeling really comes through his writing. Um, and now we come to chapter seven. So those two subsection or that first subsection, the theme in most of that is justification, uh, grace living according to the way that God wants us to live, uh, not falling into the trap of, of, of using grace as a license to sin. And so we come to chapter 7. And I, I struggled with chapter 7 for years. Uh, it's, it's just recently when I've started to study it a little bit more that, that it's kind of opened up to me. But it's, it's really one of the most under, misunderstood uh, chapters in the entire Bible. The way I've always heard it addressed now, this may not be everybody's experience, um, and I would certainly hope that it's not, but the way that I've heard it uh, expressed is that that chapter 7 is basically a condemnation of you and how you're a terrible person and how the law is terrible and you, you, know, you, can't, and, and, and you can't live up to the law and all this stuff. And so chapter 7 is, we kind of look at chapter 7 as the condemnation chapter, and chapter eight is the no condemnation chapter. And, and so that's traditionally how I've heard it taught and how I've heard it preached, which is completely untrue. So Romans chapter seven, 
when you look at it, there is quite a bit to the chapter. Paul talks about it, the basic uh, premise of chapter 7 is the law or the Torah, uh, as Paul would have understood it and as Jewish readers would have understood it. So um, basically what Paul is saying is the law is good. It, he even makes a comment. He says the law is holy and just and good. Th there's nothing wrong with the law and there's nothing personally wrong with you. The problem is sin. Sin took advantage of the law because we could never live up to the law. And sin took advantage of that and caused us to break the law. So, mm. of course, it, it, it does come down to human choice. You know, we make our own choices and stuff like that. He's not, he's not discounting that. But what he's saying is there's nothing wrong with the law. And, and the only thing that's wrong with you is that you've chosen to allow sin to dominate your life. You've chosen to allow the flesh to dominate your life. And so his argument is that um, th these things cause us to be condemned. They, they kind of condemn us because we can't live up to them. We can't fulfill them. Yeah. Um, because well, here, here's a good, here, here's a good uh, um, support to what you're saying here. Verse 7 of Romans 7. Mm -hmm. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Again, he's asking a question and then he's going to answer yeah. it. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. Right. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Not covet. Yeah. So he, okay. yeah. So, yep. His point is, is that the law was a good thing. The law is a good thing. It still is. It's a good thing. Um, but sin took advantage of that. And, Sin, in particular, the devil or Satan or the Satan or however you want to term him, kind of took the good parts of the law and twisted them. And, and we have fallen into that trap. And that's the problem. And this leads mm -hmm. into chapter eight, which is a, which is an extremely powerful chapter. So he, he, he talks well, before, about... Before you go into chapter eight... Um, are you going to talk, uh, I want us to have a look at just quickly the, the famous passage when he's talking about the conflict that's taking place. So you said that, uh, it's, it's sin. Sin has, um, has, uh, allowed us, ha has allowed the law to become a bit of a negative in our life. But the, but then he further unpacks what leads to sin. He talks about the two different natures that, mm -hmm. that are at war within our body. And that's a, a very famous passage yeah. in Romans chapter seven. Yeah. So the, the, you're talking about the very end of the chapter where he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, you know, he's talking about these, this war that's going on. And uh, yeah. So basically that leads into chapter eight. So what he's saying is there's these two, there's this great conflict going on within us. Um, and, and so what we have to do is we have to find a way to fulfill this this law we have to find a way to obey or to to please god to be pleasing to god because our carnal man our our nature or our natural man wants to fight against this and wants to fight with every fiber because of sin wants to fight with every fiber against this and this is where he arrives at chapter 8 this is why chapter 8 is so powerful because then he leads into there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ 
Jesus, who walked not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So in other words, mm. he's saying there, there's this great battle going on, but the spirit allows us to overcome. Through the spirit, we can overcome. Through the spirit, through the help of the Holy Spirit, we can overcome and we can live up and, and fulfill the law. We, we can actually do exactly what Jesus Christ did in fulfilling the law, not destroying the law, not getting rid of the law, but fulfilling the law. And that can only happen through the spirit. And, and that's kind of his point in Romans chapter eight. Um, and so, again, just a phenomenal setup here because he, he you end chapter seven. I'm going to be honest with you. When you end reading chapter seven, there's this just hopeless feeling like, <laughs> how is this going to work? Like if you've never read Romans and you end with chapter seven, it's a bit like ending with, you know, the, the in, in the book of Mark chapter 16, you know, the ending at verse eight, which is, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, where, where it says the yeah. women are afraid, you know, it's like, there's gotta be more to it than this. Yeah. So you, you get to the end of chapter seven and you're like, Oh my gosh, like, can we, can we do anything right? You know, like, am I, Am I? Uh... Yeah, well, you're Paul's presenting himself as a problem, right? Yes. Like, you're this is a guy who's writing the book. This is someone that you look up to. It'd be like, you know, uh, one of the, the men of God or women of God that you really look up to, and they're saying, Hey, I'm struggling every single day. There's this war going, I'm a wretched person. Yeah. And you're like, What? Yeah. If you're wretched, what am I? Yeah. So it, it, you, you reach the point where it's just like, Oh my goodness, uh, you know. Is, is all hope lost? And that's, I yeah. believe that's precisely the question he wants you to ask at the end of chapter seven, because then we come to chapter eight and it goes back. This is the powerful thing. This connects back to chapter five. Remember where we talked about that we have that, that when we were weak, when we were without strength, mm -hmm. it was Christ who died. It was Christ who saved us. Right. We've reached the exact same point here in chapter seven. You can't save yourself. You can't do anything to help mm. yourself. You are wretched. You are horrible. You are terrible in the sense that you have allowed sin to dominate your life. Right. But and in the clever way that Paul does it, and the cl clever way that he does it is he doesn't say you. Right. <laughs> He's saying me. Right. He's talking about himself. Yes. He's using himself as the example yes. of someone who can't even, who, who, who is unable to overcome, right? Yeah. By himself. Yeah. And, and so he reaches, and you would think, you know, this is the guy who's seen visions and been to the third heaven and all this other stuff. If he can't get it right, then how can I? Well, he gives you the key at the beginning of Romans chapter yeah. 8. It's not because of anything that you can do, but it's through the power of the Spirit. That's why he says, if any man does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. His point is, mm -hmm. is that you can't do it in your own power. If you're going to overcome, if you're going to live this life, you have to do it through the spirit. It's the spirit that empowers you. It's the spirit that makes you alive. And, and so that is his point at the very beginning. It's, it's this incredible, um, powerful message that he puts across. And, and, and he expands on the point further as we go through the chapter. He says that it's through the spirit. We are now heirs with Christ. So we rule, we actually, think about that. We actually rule with Christ. That's his point here in Romans chapter eight. So you reach the end of Romans chapter seven thinking you're a horrible dirt bag. And by the middle of Romans chapter eight, he is telling you 
that you actually rule with Christ, that you are an heir with Christ. You're a joint heir with him. Think about how powerful mm. that is. But yeah. there's, there is, a, uh, there is a, a thing that goes along with that. He extends on that point and he says, you're, you're an heir with Christ. You're going to rule with Christ. But you're going to have to go through a little bit of suffering. And, All right, and, so before we pa- unpack that, um, uh, before we unpack suffering, because this is going to get good, but before we get into that, I, I want to get back, I want to hammer the point home about um, about having the Spirit of God, because that, that's such an important uh, point in Paul's writings. Every one of his letters, he gets back to this point about the, the necessity of having the Spirit of God, the power of of having the Spirit of God, the way that you're able to overcome because of this, right? Yeah. And and that's why you could see people who are professing Christians who want to live for Christ, but because they're not spirit-filled, it's impossible. It goes back to the argument in Romans chapter 7, where Paul's saying, there's this war that's going on in my members. Well, if you don't have the Spirit of God involved in that war that's taking place, you always lose. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're always going to give in to the flesh. Yep. And so that's why you need the Spirit of God. You need the Spirit of God fighting on your, your behalf. You need to follow the Spirit and not the lusts of the flesh. Yeah. Right. Yep. Exactly. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So right. you cannot be a son of God without the Spirit of God. Um, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you are none of His. And I would take the little side here to say the Spirit of Christ and Spirit of God are clearly the same thing in this context. We won't unpack that because that could go a whole different way. Um, but anyway, so. In other, so he says that we're going to rule with Christ. Well, how did Christ rule? How did Christ come to rule? It was through suffering. It was through the cross. Mm. It was through this great, um, this great travail and this great uh, suffering that he went through on the Christ that cross. That is actually how he came to reign and to rule. And so Paul's point is. The suffering that we have will not even compare to the glory that will be revealed, but there is going to be some suffering because it's only through suffering that you will rule. It's, it's like Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to take up a cross, right? So any, any kingship, any rulership, that's kind of the backwards nature of Jesus's kingdom is it doesn't come through force. It doesn't come, all the great empires throughout history have used force, have used armies, have used militaries. Jesus is saying, this is, this is the exact opposite of what we want to do. We're going to do it through servanthood. We're going to do it through suffering. We're going to do it through laying down our lives. That's how you rule. That's how you reign because that puts you in a position to where you are, are humble before God and you are actually earning the position of rulership through your suffering. And so that, that's a powerful concept. Again, I wish we had more time to unpack that, um, but Paul kind of moves on and keeps going. Well, I, and that, I just wanted to comment on that real yeah. quick. Uh, I'm cur- I just finished listening to, there was like an eight-part uh, episode on the fall of the Aztecs, and I'll connect it. And, uh, and uh, if you know anything about the story of the Aztecs in Mexico, um, the way that they were conquered was by who? The conquistadors, mm-hmm. right? The Spanish conquistadors mm-hmm. who were Christian, apparently. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Christian. It, it, well, 
Exactly. Well, it's frustrating uh, listening to this because, uh, you know, the, the historians are just going through and laying out what actually happened. And they're saying, you know, these people had faith. They believed in God. They believed in the message, uh, the Christian message. And yet they're, they're committing these atrocities. They're committing these horrible deeds mm-hmm. uh, in, um, in the name of Christ. And they're trying to conquer through war, through power, through uh, hurting others, mm-hmm. through conquering others. And it's not just in that instance. I'll just bring that up because I was just, you know, listening yeah. to something about that. But, you know, whether you're talking about other kingdoms that were established and they had the cross at the front of their armies and they were warring, uh, uh, they're warring on behalf of Christ. And you juxtapose that with what you just unpacked with Paul, where Paul is saying, if you want to rule, you're not going to rule by killing others. You're not going to rule by planting a cross on a hill. You're not going to rule by waving a flag with a cross on it or having a cross on your shield or on your chest. The way that you're going to rule is through you suffering, Mm -hmm. not through you causing suffering to others. And that's a great argument that I I bring that up because that's a great argument that you can use when um, talking about atrocities that were committed by people who claim to be Christian. You know, you can say, well, they may have done that, but they were not following the teachings, not only of Christ, but of the followers of Christ. Right. You know, Paul is unpacking this, and he's saying, you know, obviously Jesus said, those who live by the sword are going to die by the sword. Mm-hmm. And he told his uh, disciples to put down arms if they tried to. And I, I know this is a bit of a, of a rabbit trail I'm going down here, but I think it's important yeah. that, that we understand this concept because um, when people try to bring that up, don't just say, oh, well, that was the Catholic Church. Just say, well... I understand these guys were Christian because Protestants did it too. It wasn't oh, just the Catholics yeah, that did it. You know, there was there were wars waged in Europe uh, behind uh, Protestantism, and so uh, if someone brings that up in conversation, you say, "Well, I understand that, and and uh, you know it's terrible what they did." I just want you to know that they weren't following Christ. They weren't following the teachings of Scripture. They weren't uh, ruling in the way that we're talking about ruling. You know, my kingdom is not of this world. If you're going to rule, it's not a physical kingdom that you're ruling, but it, it's it's uh, in the spirit. Yeah. And the war that's waging is not a physical war, um, but the war that we're waging is one that is of the spirit. Yep. And so on. Yep. We're not trying to defeat the powers that be. We're trying to defeat the powers behind the powers that be. So that's correct. That's an important yep. distinction to make there, um, and that's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't try to kill mm. Caesar. He didn't try to kill Pontius Pilate. He laid down his life, and that somehow, in some way, destroyed the powers that stood behind them. And and so, mm. it you know that's a whole different thing I could get into. So, but but anyway, we won't chase that. I'll get back on track. Sorry, I took you. <laughs> no, off. I no, took you off. That was good stuff. That was good stuff. Um, but. So, yeah, so he, he just goes down through chapter eight and he's talking about this suffering and, and putting yourself, you know, we have the, the great passage where he talks about the spirit interceding through us and praying through us. And what he's talking about is, is as rulers, as people who have been ch- put in charge of God's earth, we have been put in a position to where we can, we can kind of put ourselves in a place of suffering or, or praying for those who are suffering um, and bringing about something better within the world. Um, and so he talks about this great power of intercession where the spirit actually begins to pray through us. It, it's very, it's kind of a mysterious passage, 
Um, but it's, it's, it's a very powerful passage where the Spirit actually can pray through you um, for things that are going on in the world. And, and it's because you've been put in this position where you are an heir with Christ and, and, and you rule and reign with him. It's not something, and, and this is what people, I don't think, fully grasp uh, when, when we talk about this. It's not something that's going to happen at a future date. It will be completely fulfilled at a future date when Jesus comes back and rules on the earth. But right now, you are in a position of rulership. Right now, mm. you are a representative, an ambassador of Jesus Christ on the earth. Right now, the church is supposed to be in a position to where we are actually advancing God's kingdom and setting up God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That's our job. That's what we're supposed to do. Um, and so it will obviously come to a ful its fulfillment in the future. But our job right now is to be putting ourselves in a position to where we're doing that, where we're working towards that. Um, and so then the, the chapter ends with, the verses that everybody loves, you know, where very power for very good reason, very powerful verses. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. And he goes on, he lists all these things. Uh, I am persuaded, he says, that 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 nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Um, and so he he that's kind of a good place to end his argument for there is, you know, the the whole of Romans chapter eight is basically his answer to Romans chapter seven, where you mm. can't live according to law, but the spirit empowers you to do so. And because you have the spirit, you're an heir with Christ. And because you're an heir with Christ, that's what I was talking about earlier. Remember about flow because of this, because of this. So because you're an heir with Christ, then you're in this position where you can intercede because you're interceding. Then you can know that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Um, and so I just want to be, before we finish up here, yeah. I want to read a few verses um, because I think it's really powerful in the context of what you've been sharing. Right. Um, you know, I know, as you said, we can't do every scripture, but I feel like it's important to do this one because yeah. you're talking about rulership. You're talking about the way that you rule is through suffering and so on and so forth. And, and that leads through to the end of the chapter where in verse 28, very famous passage, most of us know, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Yeah. For those whom he foreknew, he also produced, predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, here's the word again, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now listen to this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Yeah. yeah. His own son suffered. God, Jesus suffered. Yeah. And if, if he suffered, uh, we're going to suffer. But in the context of that, in the context of the suffering, in the context of this struggle, uh, the, uh, Paul's saying, we know all things work together for good to them who love God, to those who are called. Mm -hmm. So, this suffering is not taking place for no reason. Right. There, there's no, it's, it's just, it's not meaningless suffering, yeah. but it's working toward a good. Yeah. It's working towards something. So in, in the same way that suffering in Jesus produced the kingdom of God on earth, mm. suffering produces something in us 
it causes us in one of my favorite things is that suffering actually causes you to be more like Christ. You're never more like Christ than when you suffer. Never. And so when 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 you understand this that this powerful concept of suffering. I'm not saying I'm not saying, you know, purposely do something to bring suffering to yourself. <laughs> that's, that's not what I'm saying. Right. Uh, that's just stupid. Uh, but there, there are things that happen in life that we don't understand, things we don't grasp. And through suffering, it allows us to, to uh, see how Jesus would see things. You start to, there's something about suffering that causes you to understand that you don't have all the answers and, and, and that you need the one who does have all the answers. I was going through this with my wife the other day. We were, you know, we were facing something really frustrating uh, and I, I won't go into detail, but we were very frustrating. And I, I was just like, I don't understand. You know, I don't get it. I, I don't understand why we're, why we have to face this, why we have to do this. Um, you know, I, I try to live faithfully. I, I, I fail. I mess up. You know, I, I try to do the best that I can. I don't get it. And I felt like God spoke to me and, and brought those passages to my mind. You're, you're never more like Christ than when you suffer. I, I, I want everyone who's listening to remember that. The, the, the most powerful concept you can learn in your life is that you don't try to avoid suffering. It's so easy for us in, in Western culture uh, to, to try to do whatever we can to separate ourselves from suffering. And again, I'm not saying you know, do anything stupid to purposely cause suffering, but don't avoid it. Don't push it away. Learn to push through it. Learn to allow it to build something inside of you because every time that you suffer, it produces something in you. It produces fruit. It produces mm. patience. It produces a Christ-like character, a Christ-like nature. And then with that becomes, you'll, you'll start to find yourself responsible for more things. You, you may not be the preacher at general conference, you know, but God will start to entrust you with more things. He'll entrust you with other things and other things and other things. Why? Because you've suffered and he can trust you with those things. And so that's what we have to understand with suffering. Put yourself in the position of Jesus Christ. There's nobody who suffered more than he did. No one. And, and, and so, you know, and we tend to think of the cross as suffering. Jesus was suffering long before the cross. There were so many yeah, things. Rejection. Yeah. yeah, there were so many things he went through in his life. You know, the, the Isaiah says he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That's mm. how he lived his life. And so there's nobody who yeah. suffered more than he did. But he somehow allows us through grace to, to allow these things to build us, to make us, to produce something better in us. And so, mm. you know, I, I know that that's, that's not popular with a lot of people, um, but it's Bible. It's what the Bible teaches, and it's what Jesus taught. It's what Paul taught. And so um, that's why I find those chapters so powerful. Is it's not just the yay of, you know, uh, of, of, you know, we can do this through the Spirit and blah, 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 blah. There's this, there's this suffering mm. element that comes alongside of it. And, and it's going to teach you, it's going to build you, and it's going to make you more like Christ. Mm. I think that's a good place to stop for for part two of this uh, series on the Book of Romans. We're going to be doing 
uh, four parts. So stay tuned for chapters 9 through 11, the third part of this series. Thanks, Mike, so much for unpacking this, going through this. Absolutely. And I hope you all got something out of it. That's why we do it. We want you to uh, get something out of the conversation, but then inspire you to uh, dig into these chapters for yourself and uh, find something to share with others. So we'll see you next time for part three of this conversation on on Romans on the Hacker Convo.